same time. Which timing of the rapture do you believe in? Well, this was a personal question for me. And lots of people um, I know from the congregation um, have studied quite a lot on this passage. Before I start answering this question, I'm going to do something a little bit new today that I've never done before. Give it a trial. See if you participate. You don't have to participate. But if you want to get your phones out and you go to a website called slido.com, S-L-I-D-O.com, and on the screen is a snapshot of the website. Straight there in the blue, it says joining as a participant, and it has a number for you to enter in. The number is 104-5853. And this platform allows you to either anonymously, or you can state your name if you want, ask any question um, from what I am preaching on this morning. I may or may not answer them at the end of the message, depends how long I take. But it gives me an insight into what questions you want to find out and what you're wondering about. It is preferred that you ask the questions on this particular passage, uh, but I just want to give this a trial because this is a platform I want to explore further in my preaching. If you unable to get to that site, you can use a QR code, just put your phone up. Um, for the old, older generation that might not be familiar with this, you get your camera out, you just tap on the screen and there, a website link should come up on your mobile and it comes directly to that uh, the page where you can ask questions. But uh, code 104-5853 at slido.com if you uh, want to do that, I'll check my phone afterwards and see what happens. Now, a disclaimer, in answering this question, if you are new to the faith, more than likely you are going to get lost in this answering this question. Um, so I just want to give a heads up on that. This, is, this question is really for a seasoned Christian that has been studying this um, previously. Therefore, I need to state some presuppositions in answering this question. Presuppositions for those young people are pretty much assumed truths. However, these presuppositions are still controversial. In other words, they're debated within the church today. Number one, the presupposition that really is not debated at all is Jesus is coming back again someday. If you don't believe me, just read the last verse of the Bible and it's the Apostle John saying, please come, Lord Jesus, really quickly. Number two, there will be a rapture before he comes back. Not sure if I'm going to state it later, but I'll state it now just in case. The coming of the Lord Jesus can also be referred to the rapture, but ultimately when people say he's coming back, we're talking about his second coming. But the majority of people, Christians, believe there will be a rapture. However, please know that this is not an entirety of the Christian church. There are intelligent scholars out there who are Christian 
and they don't believe there is a rapture. Okay, but my presupposition today is saying there is a rapture. Number three, the tribulation period, aka the day of the Lord, is not just one day, it's actually a period of seven years. So we look at this day, don't think of a 24 hour period, think of a period of time that lasts seven years. A lot of people call it the tribulation. Number four, the man of sin or the man of lawlessness, uh, the man of destruction, okay, perdition, um, also known as the Antichrist. This is a man that will globally, globally demand himself to be worshipped as God after he brings peace to the whole earth. So there will be peace on earth, but it will be a deception. See Revelation 13 to how he's going to demand everyone to worship him. And so there has to be an antichrist to understand this passage. Um, I was just thinking about the Antichrist this week, of course. And I think of Hitler. Oh, he's gone, obviously. But the question I asked myself was, how did Hitler get so much influence to do what he could do? Not just because he was European. No, he did more than that. He actually saved Europe from um, economic distress. And so he was to, uh, to Germany, but not Europe, Germany, a, a hero. And that's how he got his, his influence. Um, and then once he started killing people, then people, then his followers you know, started, well, some did. I'll, I'll say some at this stage. I was going to say most, but uh, <laughs> they uh, obviously raised their eyebrows once he started uh, on a rampage. And number five, God's wrath will be demonstrated in various ways towards the end of this tribulation period in order to fulfill his purposes. God's wrath will be demonstrated. Okay. Now there's four views of the timing of the rapture, if you're not sure. Um, we have pre-trib, we have mid-trib, pre-wrath, and post-trib. There are some others, but these are the four main ones. Pre-trib means rapture will happen before the tribulation period. Mid-trib means it'll happen right in the middle. Pre-wrath means it'll happen around three-quarters of the way. And uh, post-trib, they believe that the rapture will happen after God's wrath has been poured out on all the earth. The passage, which I purposely kept um, secret in my email this week, is 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. So I highly encourage you to open up your Bibles if you have them with you. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and we'll only be covering the first few verses. And as I said earlier this week, I believe that the rapture will be pre-tribulation based on these first few verses. 
if you've done your study and you're wondering how, um, well, I might spark some awareness to you that I wasn't aware of growing up and, and studying all this um, eschatology. And what, that's what we call this eschatology, the study of end times. And by the way, what I'm going to say is, of course, as usual, uh, because there's so many different views, it's controversial, it's debatable. And I'm, I'll tell you right now, the amount of study I've done does not warrant me the need to put my life on this. In other words, I would not risk my life to believe in this particular view of pre-tribulationism um, due to the amount of study I haven't put in. There are controversial topics that I would put my life on, by the way, because I have done the study. And even though there are intelligent Christian scholars that disagree with me, um, I am convinced that that's, that's what's true. Um, I won't say what those are. You can ask me personally if, you, if you're curious. Well, let's get into it. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1 says, Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and that's why I said um, we're, talk, we're talking about the rapture here. A lot of scholars agree with that, that this, that's the case. The coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, because that's the hint, the gathering together to him. So this reflects first. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, where we are described of meeting together um, in the air with the Lord Jesus Christ, along with all the saints. So what does Paul want to say concerning the gathering together to him? Well, he says, we ask you, we ask you not to be easily shaken in your thinking or we ask you not to be anxious. Not to be anxious. Because, why are they anxious? Well, verse 2 continues to say, because of a spirit or a spoken message or a letter. In other words, a written message. Supposedly from us. So there seems to be some kind of message that has got through to the church in Thessalonica and it apparently comes from Paul but it's not from Paul it seems to be a forgery it seems to be someone however uh, um, way it came it definitely didn't come from Paul but it's described from the sender as coming from Paul and what they're claiming is that the day of the Lord has already come. That's what they're anxious about. The day of the Lord has already come. Why would you be anxious about that? Well, because God's wrath is expected to start any day soon. They don't want to be a part of that. They weren't expecting to be part of it. Now, I have to say... Your version might not say the day of the Lord. So I want to quickly cover this um, since we've been talking about it on Wednesday nights. Day of Christ is what the King James Version says. And when you look at day of Christ in other 
parts of Scripture, the day of Christ is a good day. It's a happy day. It's pretty much the day that we get taken away, the rapture. Day of Christ versus day of the Lord. So the King James, if you read the King James, and instead of get rid of tribulation and you put rapture there, some people believe that the, that the church in Thessalonica was anxious, they were stressed because they had already missed the rapture. They thought they'd missed the rapture. That's the most logical interpretation if you're going to put Day of Christ in that. But I don't believe Day of Christ is the correct translation, is the correct terminology. I think, I believe, I'm actually convinced that's the Day of the Lord. And most translations do Day of the Lord. Uh, you might be asking, okay, why is Day of Christ in some and Day of the Lord in others? And it's dependent on what kind of manuscript the translators used to um, get the Bible into their language. And so um, KJV used different manuscripts, but we're not going to get into that this morning because there's not enough time. I will just go some points of why I believe um, the day, this is the day of the Lord and not the day of Christ. It's because the tense of has come or is at hand. Look at that again. The day of the Lord has already come or the day of the Lord is at hand, has come. Probably a better word is to say has arrived, has arrived. That's the tense. It's not a past tense. It's a present tense. And so if there was the rapture, if they were scared that they missed the rapture, it would be something that already happened. That's number one. I don't think it is. Number two is who is missing that indicates there was a rapture? These people who are scared that there was a rapture, who's missing that caused them to think that they missed the rapture? Definitely wasn't the Apostle Paul. He's still there. So why would they think that they missed the rapture if the, the person who started the church is, is still around? Why would they think? doesn't make sense. Who's missing in the church that caused them to think that there, there was a disappearance? I think when there's a disappearance, we're going to know about it. We're going to know about it. Number three, what would, would what he says compose the audience? Because he's saying, don't be anxious. Don't, don't, um, yeah, don't be shaken. All right? This is utter nonsense. What we're about to go into is, would you be composed if he says what we're about to say, that there's going to be an apostasy, the man of sin, the Antichrist has to be revealed? Would that compose you? No, I don't think it would. Number four, the sequence of events is illogical when we read the rest of the passage. And what I mean by that is, look at verse 7. No, for verse 3 first. It says, let no one in any way deceive you. So just for a moment, imagine that Paul's thinking or Paul's writing to an audience that thinks they missed the rapture. And this might take some thinking. So if you're asleep, man, you might as well just keep asleep. For, okay, ready? 
Let no one anyway deceive you. You haven't missed the rapture. For it will not come unless the apostasy comes first. We'll get into that shortly. And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. So this guy is the Antichrist. So I'll paraphrase that. Don't anyone deceive you. The rapture will not come unless the Antichrist is revealed first. Now, there's a conundrum in verse 7. The conundrum is this. Look at verse 7. For the mystery of lawlessness, the mystery of the Antichrist, is already at work. Like the spirit of the Antichrist is already at work. And it's already at work today. You know, it's not logical that people can choose their own gender now, for instance. That's not, that's just, that's just, that's just, I had to use the word, it's just stupid, right? And we're having these ridiculous arguments in the Senate about what constitutes a woman. Um, the spirit, all this stuff, evil that's happening, it's the spirit of the Antichrist. Now, it's already at work. Even 2,000 years ago, it's already at work. It's getting worse and worse. But only, read that very carefully, only he who now restrains, notice that, that he is a capital H, he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. So I'll paraphrase that. No, first of all, you have to know, the restrainer here refers to the Holy Spirit working through the church. The Holy Spirit working through the church has to be taken out of the way in order for the Antichrist to come. So scholars, the majority of scholars agree, that's the removal of the church. That has to be the rapture. Now, do you, have, do you see the conundrum yet? Because here's the question I have. How can it be? Let me paraphrase that first before I get going and ask that question, okay? So, the Antichrist is already at work, the spirit of it, but this tells me that the church has to be removed in order for the Antichrist to be revealed. You see the conundrum now? The question is, how can it be that the rapture cannot occur until the Antichrist is revealed, verse 3, but the Antichrist cannot be revealed until the rapture occurs? Verse 7, doesn't make sense. Now, that's only on my level. There's something that I might be missing. Um, so I, 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 uh, I still respect that. Now, verse 3 doesn't explain. That's just why I think that we're talking about a tribulation period. They're anxious about the day of the Lord, the tribulation. Let no one anyway deceive you, for it will not come unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. This verse tells me that Paul believed in a pre-tribulation. Why do I think that? First of all, the word apostasy is underlined there on the screen. And you see that I put the Greek word there, apostasia, or I think the correct pronunciation is apostasia, apostasia. Um, usual one is apostasia. It means falling away. And that's what some versions have. The falling away has to happen first. Um, 
a defection from truth or a rebellion or a departure. So if you've done your study, the consensus, the majority consensus of this word means that there has to be a time when there's going to be a lot of people apostatizing. In other words, a lot of Christians, um, and I wouldn't say Christians, I would say people associated with the church that are no longer, they've fallen away from the faith. They've, they've no longer believed the doctrines that they were raised to believe in. They, they are rebelling against Christ. They want nothing more to do with him. They're, they're, they're departing the faith. Okay? That's the majority view. Now notice how it's the apostasy. Because this departing from the faith, it happens today in a general consensus. I think it happened or it did happen back then, even in biblical times, first century, we're talking about. People just left the faith. And John addresses this in his epistle. For some, it's like they were with us, but they're no longer with us because they were never of us. It's like those people that come to church and they do it um, for whatever reason and then they just leave. You know, were they Christians to start off with? Who knows? More than likely they weren't, particularly if they're walked away from Jesus Christ. Now, I believe there's lots of Christians that have walked away from the church, unfortunately. It's just a, a dilemma that we need to fix because God's ordained this institution to be um, to fulfill his purposes, and here half the Christians don't want to be a part of it. And why? Because they've been hurt by the church. I've been hurt by the church. We all have, probably, in one way or another. It's just so sad, so many Christians. So I believe you can walk away from the church, but um, walking away from Jesus Christ is a different story. That's why it's so important to listen to people's stories of why they walked away from the church. Because then I think it's your job to figure out, are they a Christian? Are they not? Either way, you still want to bring them to repentance. That's overall our goal. We need to encourage them to get out of that pit, to live the life that God desires them to do. It's all the same message. Um, but you have to listen. You have to see where they're at. And so that's, it takes time. Build that relationship. As I just pointed out, notice the article. It's the apostasy. The apostasy. It has to be an event. It can't just be a general. It has to be something major. So what would be major with an apostasy if we, we think it's falling away? We're talking about millions of people that has fallen away, that have just left the church. Church of Jesus Christ. So I have a question up here on the board. Is the falling away the rapture? And you ask, how do you, how do you, how do you figure that? When I look at the word apostasy, and you look at the Bible, 
and you see where the word is used. Most of the time, if not all the time, it's used as rebellion, walking away from something. But when you look at secular Greek literature, it's been used in a different way. It's been used in a way that means, yes, a departure, but a physical one. Because in secular literature, I'm talking about Greek literature here, because scholars look at all the Greek words that have been used and how it's been used. In a secular literature, it's, always, it's also been used, not just departure from the faith, but a, de but a departure from a particular, particular political movement. So a political rebellion has been used for the, to, um, for the word apostasia. So that's not got nothing to do with spirituality. But the interesting thing is physical departure has been used to mean apostasia, or the other way around, I should say. Apostasy, apostasy has been used to mean physical departure. So could it be, could it be that 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3 means a departure from the earth rather than a departure from the faith. Why not? Because that would make sense if that's what Paul's talking about. Let no man deceive you. This is back a few slides. Sorry for your online host keeping up with me. It will not come. So in other words, don't let anyone deceive you. The day of the Lord, the tribulation will not occur unless the rapture comes first and then the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. And that to me makes sense because what would this world do if millions of people disappear? It would be distraught. It would be in chaos. There would be havoc all, all around the world. And there has to be peace. What perfect timing for the Antichrist to come up and bring that peace to the world, however way he does it. All with the goal of getting the whole world to worship him as God. Because he's going to claim that he's the God of the universe, the creator of the world. And then when you read Revelation 13, the way he's going to get us, not us, get the people to worship him is if you're going to buy anything or sell anything, you can't do it with money. You have to do it with a mark. And that mark is the number of 666. And I'll say it one more time. That is why the vaccine is not a mark. Okay? I'm against the vaccine, but it's not the mark of the beast. It can be a way for the mark to come in, but it's not. I don't think I'm going to be around when the beast brings that in. Lord willing. I'll be humble. <laughs> to me, that makes sense. The rapture comes first and the man of... So, the interesting thing 
is English versions before the King James Bible came around, because King James Version wasn't the first English Bible, there were quite a few before. Tyndale is one, where if you look at, read this, and you might get held up with the spelling, and you might be wondering why are there spelling mistakes? And it's because back then they didn't actually have a standardized spelling for all these words. In other words, William Shakespeare, did you know that he spelled his name many different ways? And there were no mistakes. It's just it wasn't standardized back then. And so Tyndale wrote, let no, I'm just going to decode it for you in case you can't figure it out. Let no man deceive you by any means, for the Lord comes not except there come a departure first, and that the sinful man be opened, um, ye son of perdition. Departure. Hmm. I wonder if Tyndale was onto it. To me, the context of 2 Thessalonians 2 favours a physical departure, even though there are pre-tribulationists that disagree with this interpretation. They are convinced that apostasy means a falling away, as in from, from what? Because then they're, they're in a predicament, aren't they? If you believe that you'll be raptured before the Antichrist comes on the scene, what does this apostasy mean? Because it can't be departure from the faith, because we'll all be gone. The most common interpretation with what the apostasy means is, well, that is a falling away from God's provision. So they've reversed it. We always think of something bad as apostasy. And this is still bad, but instead of saying falling away from the faith or from, from, from God, well, they're still falling away from God, but it's just God's common grace. It's God's, God's opportunity for you to, sa to save, to be saved. And so you might be thinking, what? Well, look at Revelation 14. Um, it's the unbelievers who decide to get the mark of the beast of the Antichrist and what they're falling away from or what they're departing from is God's grace. God's grace. Could be. Could be. But I think the context favours a physical departure more. So to summarise, this is what I believe Second Thessalonians 2 is saying. Brethren, brothers and sisters, Christians, church, uh, when it comes to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and the gathering together to him, so when it comes to the rapture, um, we ask you not to be easily shaken in your thinking or anxious because of that letter has come through uh, acting as us that uh, the tribulation has already come. Don't let anyone deceive you. For it's not going to come unless the rapture comes first, the physical departure comes first, and then the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. So you would, might have seen there 
a lot of scholars, when they would rebut me, would say, ah, but the apostasy comes first, is connected with the man of lawlessness being revealed. Two separate events, but connected. I'm saying connected, but still separate. And so I think it's something that we won't ever be able to know for sure. If you would like to know more, I highly recommend the book, The Falling Away. It's called The Falling Away. The subtitle is Spiritual Departure or Physical Rapture. A second look at Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3. This is a book, it's only a small one, written by Dr. Andy Woods, but it is available on Booktopia and, and all those um, websites. And uh, he gets into more detail in what I have. I think he looks at 10 reasons why he thinks this word is physical departure and not um, a spiritual falling away. But that's it. That's it for me. And I did that in close to 30 minutes. I'm proud of myself. I will look at my phone and, and see if anything's come up, just out of curiosity. Uh, I don't know if I have time. Oh, cool. Oh, yeah. Oh, one. I'm not sure how it's related, but uh, the question is, if sign gifts are still valid in today's world after the age of the apostles, how do gifts like prophecy work? Uh, because people false prophesy everywhere. Okay, uh, That takes a whole other message uh, because I've got to go into not everyone believes that um, all the gifts are valid today. Um, I do personally, but I think they're more rare today than others. And I also think the gift of prophecy has changed quite a lot. Not changed, but I think the gift of prophecy has been um, um, distorted in the sense that it is more prevalent today, and I think it still was present back in biblical times, but it's more prevalent today that prophesying when you look at 1 Corinthians, is more about proclaiming, because that's all prophecy is, proclaiming, but proclaiming what? We always relate it to proclaiming new revelation, new um, things like, hey, you're going to be rich when you're older, or you're going to be um, a, a great pastor one day, or, or something like that. That's mainly prevalent in the, the Pentecostal church. But to me, I'm proclaiming God's word, and in a sense, I am prophesying to the point where it's not a new revelation, but it's proclaiming God's word. Yeah, not everyone agrees with me. So I think the preaching of God's word is a gift. Some people have it, some people don't. Oh, thanks, Pete. That's very kind of you. <laughs> I still believe at the same time there is a place for, for prophecy to be present in the sense that there's 
new revelation, but I think it's on an individual basis, and it's only in a practical sense. It's got nothing to do with revealing something new about God's character, because everything I need to know about God is in the Bible. So if someone says, God wants me to do this, or God, not wants me to do this, but someone says, God is, uh, uh, let's just use that, God wants me to do this, but it's telling me to do something like God's telling me to change my gender. If someone's saying me to do that, then I know that's wrong because it goes against the character of God. Once again, I don't understand how that question is related, but um, maybe, yeah, let me know if you ask that question. I'll be happy um, to do it further. Well, let's pray. I'll give time for Peter to come and uh, we'll sing a song about the rapture, of course. Because that's my only question to you. My only question is, are you ready? There's only one thing you have to do to be ready for the rapture. You have to have the Holy Spirit within you. Do you have the Holy Spirit living in you? That's all. Or are you faking it in this place? I know the majority of you, a lot of you are not faking. All of you that I know are not faking, that I can see. But then again, when I read the story of the wheat and the tares, they look exactly the same. Only when they mature, only when they sprout do they look different. And it's not for me to pluck them out. That will happen at the end. I hope you're a wheat. I hope you're ready for the rapture because it could come any time. Lord willing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for hope. Thank you that you... Really, only hope can come from you. You're the source of all hope. Same time, Father, we recognize that there's times when we don't have hope and we confess it's mainly because we're distracted. We're not focused on you as the author of our faith. We're not focused on you as the perfecter of our faith, the one who's going to complete your purposes in and through us. The ultimate completion, Father, we acknowledge is our glorification. Whether that comes when we pass away or when we meet you in the air, whatever it may be, Lord, whenever it may be, help us to be faithful to what you have called us to do in this place. We give you all the glory, all the honour. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, this is the song. It's, a, it's really a rapture song. I invite you to stand with me and let's sing. When